0: you <music> Welcome to Crywolf. This is your host, Sam, after a brief hiatus. As you all know, I'm a full time graduate student in clinical mental health counseling, and I just started my second year of school. With that comes clinical internships, so I'm now counseling high schoolers in the Chicago Public School System. It's Pretty great, but also time-consuming. So thank you one million times over for being patient while I really took my time editing down this monster of an episode with my good friend Matt, aka Joe Magician. We recorded this episode just after Con of Thrones when I was still in London, and we really, really got into our feelings about our favorite characters. I also cry a lot. Big, big shocker. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, Matt. How's it going?
1: Well, you know, Sam, things are going okay. (laughs) It's pretty hot here today. I got a giant thing of wine, but I feel like we're ready to explore some stuff and just have a really good time.
0: Yeah, I've got a bottle of champagne and I'm also ready to explore my feelings. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So can you start by telling me a little bit about what you do in the fandom, who you are. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh,
1: Sure. I am Matt, also known as Joe Magician. I have a YouTube channel where I make up uh, tinfoil theories, for the most part. That's basically (laughs) what I do. And then uh, I'm a moderator for the Song of Ice and Fire board on Reddit, uh, co-host of the Maester monthly podcast. And I write um, for Watchers on the Wall sometimes.
0: That is so much <laughs> it, like never ceases. You, you don't
1: say you don't say Sam
0: <laughs> it never ceases to impress me to hear how many things that my pals do within the community I think it it rules it's really great
1: <laughs> it is a little overwhelming at times my favorite thing is that I have like a running gag on live streams where I, I used to say them all very slowly <laughs> because I was trying to remember them and people called me out so now I have like a very quick way of saying all of them in succession
0: it's like your Daenerys list of names.
1: Yeah, they call it my titles. Yeah, Matt and his titles, his titles, his titles.
0: <laughs> titles is the correct word to use there.
1: <laughs> it's true. I am very similar to a Khaleesi.
0: <laughs> and you do have great hair as well, so that checks out. Oh, that is true. <laughs> so how did you first discover Game of Thrones?
1: Oof, um... How I discovered Game of Thrones is um, I was not a book fan. I had never even heard of Song of Ice and Fire, the book series. Uh, What happened was I used to work a pretty crappy job at a hospital. And my pseudo boss and I used to watch a lot of the same TV shows. But what would happen is because um, I have a really good memory for details we would come in like Monday morning, and she would call me into her office, and then we would just talk about whatever the show was that we were watching. And I would like remind her of like things that happened, break things down, like oh, this is the thing you missed. And we were watching The Walking Dead, and we both just got kind of bored of it. <laughs> it was at the point where they're at the farm, and nothing was happening, and the only plot was the thing about the missing uh, daughter, and it was really boring. So um, that was around the time that we first heard of Game of Thrones. And I actually don't normally like fantasy. I usually like sci-fi quite a lot more. Mm-hmm. Even Lord of the Rings was really boring to me as a kid. I couldn't get through the books. It actually took me until after I started in the Game of Thrones fandom <laughs> to go back and finish Lord of the Rings, just because I was like, "Ugh, he's describing pipeweed again. Like, what is this book? <laughs> uh, so we picked, uh, we picked up Game of Thrones. I watched one episode, and it was really strange because because of the way my mind works i think in in a lot of details and patterns i usually can predict where television shows are going with really good accuracy mm-hmm. it like ruins all detective shows and all those other kind of things unless they withhold information from you and i watched game of thrones and i could never predict what was going to happen next i was like what, what is the show how are they how is this tricking me this never <laughs> happens and that got me interested so i started watching a few more And because of my nature, I then went and watched like a whole bunch of YouTube videos about it. And then I went to the Song of Ice and Fire Wiki and like read everything I could. I'm like, but they kept like referencing all these fan theories and they seemed to come from Reddit. And I was like, I didn't know there was a Reddit board for this kind of thing. And I, I went there just to start reading. I'm like, holy crap, people are so into this. I've never <laughs> seen this before. It's out of control. People are writing the weirdest theories about a TV show and there's tons of them and people are like really into it. Yeah. So from there, my, my uh, that was my entrance into the Thrones fandom as a Shonley. Or Shonley.
0: God, you saying like, I didn't know that there was a Reddit board for this is, is like terrifying. Those are famous last words for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then I got modded, and then I wrote for the, I wrote on Ray for a while. How long
0: were you a part of that community before you got modded?
1: Um, like uh, like a year yearns and change, I think, about that. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually, um, the Song of Ice and Fire mod team sometimes does what's called open calls, where anybody can apply to it, and there's a multiple-stage application process. I swear to God, it's like a job. <laughs> and <laughs> and sometimes I just headhunt people, and I just had a habit because my job was really boring, I would Oh good, I don't work for any of these people anymore, so this doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> I used to surf Reddit all the time, and just like I would just lurk all the threads, and I would comment on them. Um, and people just found me like, I guess, really helpful and friendly sometimes, except when I did wrong and then I was kind of a dick. (laughs) But I posted so often and I had gotten really into writing theories that I just got headhunted by the mod team. And that was like a a year and a half, two years later. And that was after the, um, after I wrote like my most famous one, the Waymar Royce uh, Killing of a Ranger post.
0: How did that feel to have them reach out to you and want you to mod?
1: I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> like I kinda did because um, my cousin, um, Mr. Woodhouse, um, his pseudonym, his name's Will. He was a big time Reddit mod at the time. He told me kind of what it was like, and but like I didn't understand what it was on a day to day level. And they invited me. And I was I was just kind of like, what is what, what what am I expected to do? And they basically said, like, what you're doing now, except now you can ban people. I was like, oh, cool. Great. That sounds awesome.
0: (laughs) That's perfect.
1: But I didn't didn't really understand why I got headhunted too much. Although um, part of the fun of the Song of Ice and Fire mod team is that there is a slack for it. Mm -hmm. And I got to read back a little bit. And apparently one of the things that pushed some of them over the edge is that I created a subreddit called Fluffy Dogs, where it's just pictures (laughs) of, like dogs with lots of like fur and fluff on it because those are my favorite kinds and there's like he can't be a bad person if he made this this subreddit
0: oh that's beautiful
1: (laughs) it's my little baby it's got like 1700 subscribers or something like that now go subscribe to our fluffy dogs i
0: will i didn't know that that was a thing
1: it's my secret subreddit
0: i know well it's not so secret anymore not that i have a billion listeners but fluffy dogs (laughs) it's happening
1: (laughs) our fluffy dogs is the best thing on reddit it's better than a song of ice and fire
0: oh shit those are fighting words
1: by like a lot (laughs) are how many pictures of fluffy dogs are there on a song of ice and fire literally zero
0: well aren't there ghosts there's got to be a ghost picture every now and then
1: sometimes (laughs) not enough
0: look this is my podcast and i'll prove you wrong when i can
1: <laughs> Fair.
0: So you started modding at Song of Ice and Fire or on Reddit. Mm-hmm. And then where did your involvement in the fandom kind of go from there? Like when did you start branching out?
1: Um I didn't for quite a while. I was just content to uh write stuff for Reddit and um I would just make up a new theory. Um, usually pretty ridiculous ones mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like sometimes there's sometimes they're serious sometimes they weren't and i just enjoyed seeing the conversation and seeing people react to it and like a lot of them were really well received especially because as uh, mods we could actually see the traffic on individual posts mm. more than the uh the up and down vote so i'd be like oh wow like seventy thousand people clicked on that that's incredible yeah and if for a while it was that i tr- i like Briefly started going out into Twitter, but that's more Jeff's territory. I didn't, I was just like monkeying around, just like playing, um, not really doing anything with it. And then um, the mod team started Masoner Monthly, the podcast where we essentially pick our favorite posts from the subreddit, not necessarily the most popular ones, but the ones we enjoyed, mm-hmm. like to give people shout outs, and make them feel good about themselves. Mm. And that was my first foray into something other than just like writing theories for Reddit.
0: That's really lovely.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> Mr. Monthly is so much fun.
0: Yeah, and I i don't know, I, I always think that the inspiration behind that being like, oh, yeah, we get to just pick the things that we like and talk about them more in depth and make our readers feel good is really sweet, or contributors, really, since it's Reddit.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely, because... Uh, We see it more than other people do, just how many posts go nowhere, Mm -hmm. how many posts do not get upvotes because they're posted at the wrong time of day, or the the title isn't good enough, Mm -hmm. or like it's too long, but they're actually really quality, and because we're moderators, we tend to read quite a lot of the posts and actually see these, so I don't know, it's always a thrill when uh, people see themselves recognized, I know it was for me the first time. That I like actually when I when I posted the killing of a ranger thing it got really popular. I was like googling it all the time. Yeah. I'm like, where did it go this time? How far did it go? Which form did it get to? I just kind of wanted to. Well, we as a group just kind of wanted to replicate that for other people, without having to get thousands of upvotes.
0: I think that's wonderful. So at at what point did you start reading the books then?
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> I started reading the books after I caught up with the show. I think.
0: Oh yeah, when um, did you start watching the show? Was it when it first started, or what season?
1: I think it was two seasons in, maybe three. Uh, I think it was. Oh, hang on, <laughs> let me look this up. Game of Thrones. When did it come out? I'm trying to. <laughs> it actually relates to my job history, so that's why I'm trying to to do it. <laughs> so it was like. I'm a relatively new fan in all ways. I kind of love um, that. So probably like, probably like 2013, 2014 is the first time I heard of it. And, and then I, I binge watched the show that was available. And then I started reading the books because as I started going on Song of Ice and Fire and reading the wikis and seeing these videos, I was like, wait, there's a lot more that I don't know. Yeah. And I always want more information.
0: Mm. That checks out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So what? I
1: always love more information.
0: 2012, 2013. What season was that?
1: That was like uh, season three or four. Mm. I think the first episode I saw had Rob in it. Okay. So before before he died, something like that.
0: Yeah, I started watching um, at the end of season two. Oh, okay. I think
1: so. Uh, older than me.
0: No, not much longer than you, um, because I saw The Red Wedding and all of that in real time. Um, So I think it was actually maybe, (laughs) I know, I think it was actually beginning of uh, season three that I started watching.
1: Okay. I definitely started watching before Jon Snow died for the first time.
0: Oh, yeah. That's a big jump, though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I remember because I was going on like YouTube videos and I, I liked commenting on them and at one point I got into an argument with some person and I was like listen there's three characters that aren't gonna die until the end of the show it's Jon Snow it's Tyrion it's Daenerys and the guy just said yeah sure buddy
0: Holy so shit. I didn't
1: I was not aware he bit it at that point
0: point. <laughs> and he knew and he looked like a fool
1: well, it was actually one of those things where I picked up on it. And I'm like, why am I, why do I feel like an idiot right now? I'm like, oh, does he <laughs> die?
0: No! <laughs> I love that so much, though. I didn't see that coming at all. And it, for obvious reasons, really ruined me.
1: Especially because they trolled us. They showed the thing for Benjamin during the preview for that episode.
0: I'll never forgive them. <laughs> Never forgive him for that. Uncle Benjamin, he's back. And he's so hot.
1: <laughs> Benjamin?
0: Yeah, I think Uncle Benjamin is really hot.
1: Okay. Did you not know he's got that? a thing for Starks, don't you? I mean, you already no. knew. Yeah. I knew it was for John. Is there going to be a matching Benjamin on the other leg?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just going to slowly get all of the Stark men naked, tattooed on my legs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ooh, would that include Theon, though?
0: Oh, yes. But maybe not naked, because he's only half Stark. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so his bottom half stays closed, because yeah, he's only half Stark.
0: <laughs> he deserves that respect, actually. That's fair. So you started reading the books, read them, you were writing. When did Watchers come into play?
1: Um, <laughs> This is a kind of a silly story, but... um. One of the one of my writing um, like tools was that me and my cousin would go up to his dad's cabin up in Maine quite a lot during the summer. And he has a a cabin on a lake and we would sit on the dock and talk about Game of Thrones and the Song of Ice and Fire and drink beer. Mm -hmm. And that's actually where uh, a lot of the ideas came from. It would just be me going like, hey, Will. Why did Waymar die? Like, that kind of stuff. (laughs) And then just sort of, like, running it through to figure it out. And I noticed on Twitter one of the times um, that I was up there that uh, Sue the Fury, or uh, Sue from Watchers on the Wall, was in Maine, too. Because apparently that's... She's from um, the Northeast, too, and she was up there visiting family. Ah. And I was kind of drunk at the time, and I just kind of, like, messaged her, like, hey, I'm in Maine, too. (laughs) And... We just kind of struck up a conversation and then from what I understand then she went through and like I think she had heard of me maybe from Maester Monthly and then went through and read a whole bunch of my like article well not my articles my theories and stuff like that and asked me if I would uh, start writing for them just like contribute articles on kind of whatever I felt like.
0: I love that so much.
1: <laughs> if you can imagine me drunk on a dock, just being like "Sup, Sue," I didn't even know her. I didn't know. I I kind of didn't know who she was. I I had followed her on Twitter because she was she's a good follow on Twitter. And then I realized later that I was uh, drunk saying "Sup" to the editor in chief of Watchers on the
0: Wall. <laughs> I'm sure she loved it though. That feels on brand.
1: It is. It was very on brand. <laughs>
0: So then what was it that kind of brought your part in the Game of Thrones community into real life? Like, who was the first person that you met within the community?
1: First people I met in the community, um, that would be, uh, Michael Bookshelf Stud and, uh, Eliana Orglass Table Girl. My aunt lives down in Washington, uh, D.C. area and she invited me down for the weekend and, um, not to not to dox them, but the two of them live sort of in that general area. Mm-hmm. So we ended up going up uh, out to a bar one uh, one afternoon, just like to meet each other, because we we'd known each other from the mod team. We'd done Maester Monthly. We're obviously um, very comfortable with each other, like over the internet, but it had never been a real thing. And we got to the bar, and it was a, a little awkward at first, and then we threw down a couple of drinks, and it just became like the same thing that we always do, where we were just having a great time, laughing and joking, and it was wonderful. It was like the best two people to meet from the fandom first.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I know the first time that I met you and Michael, it was a joy, but it was also very easy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we were just so happy to meet people at Con of Thrones.
0: I know. It is really exciting. And we didn't know each other before that.
1: No, um, I, I live in like a fairly small like Reddit theory YouTube bubble in the fandom, the um the kind of stuff outside of that I didn't really know. I, I just I think from um that group of friends, I think I only kind I only vaguely knew Kim mm-hmm. and I kinda knew Joanna and that was sorta of it.
0: So is that what got you to sort of branch out into knowing people from the community in real life?
1: Yeah, Con of Thrones uh, last year was the the big thing where all this internet stuff became real and it was so <laughs> It was so much fun. <laughs> people were so much better than they are on Twitter.
0: <laughs> you know that I agree with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like 10,000% people are better than they are on Twitter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Last year at Con of Thrones was also my kind of like meeting people in real life and making the fandom a bit more real thing. Because I came to the first Con of Thrones, but... Um, I kind of stuck with the people that I know and I didn't really meet a ton of people. And last year I was still, I think, a bit nervous, but, you know, got to meet all of you and, and it was really wonderful. It was, it changed, uh, my like fandom experience quite a bit.
1: Oh, definitely. Those, uh, (laughs) ordering that crappy pizza (laughs) and like dragging those things around the, the lobby of the, uh, Dallas hotel was... (laughs) So, it was so fun.
0: It was really fun. It's and it's
1: like that little and that little corner of the bar that we had just kind of like camped out for two days.
0: I know. I'm hopeful that next year it's kind of similar where we get kind of one meeting place that we can stay at.
1: I hope so. It was kind of, you know, it was kind of all over the place, this kind of throne. As great as it was, that kind of, I don't know, the centralized part of Dallas, I think, made parts of it better.
0: Mm-hmm i agree
1: although we, so, we we sort of did that again we ended up at the at that one hotel bar i think like every night yeah
0: i branched out quite a bit oh did you oh i did i i left and went to other places during con quite a <gasps> bit i spent a lot of time at the Westin hotel bar and i went and hung out with uh ziz and shea quite a bit ah. i know i abandoned the sheridan bar
1: how dare you what well, I was i was supposed to i just ran out of energy
0: i know i definitely a few times was just like put me in an uber <laughs> 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 i'll go but i mean it's it's so hard to see everybody that you want to see at these things so i tried my best to to do to like get out and see folks as much as i could because it's that difficult thing of i know that You're also a social introvert, right? So yes, we get like tired (laughs) really easily (laughs) Uh, and you're talking all day and then, uh, you know, you just want to kind of like lounge. But at the same time, I was just like constantly reminding myself like this is going to be over in just a couple of days, (laughs) and you're not gonna get to see these people for quite some time, so suck it the fuck up and go do the fun thing.
1: That's what I should have done, but um, the difference for me between last year's Con of Thrones and this year's Con of Thrones was that in the in-between, I ended up becoming like, within the, I guess the Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones community being like a semi-famous YouTuber, Mm -hmm. which wasn't the case last year. So whenever I went somewhere this year, during con of thrones like there was always people that were like really excited to come up and meet me fans and like people i've known from like twitter or have been in my chats and stuff like that and they wanted to come up and meet me and say hello and like thank me for all that kind of stuff which was really grateful and it was very sweet a lot all of them were so nice and i was very happy to meet them but after a certain point like i just felt like my internal like how much energy I have left for social interactions just dropping much quicker than it did in Dallas because I was much more uh, anonymous in Dallas. I would say.
0: Oh, that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, it wasn't something I was. Pre- I guess I should have guessed it because of like how much my YouTube channel had grown in between. But like, I really wasn't prepared for just like all the like the pictures and people wanting me to sign things and I was like, oh, I guess this is what it feels like. <laughs>
0: looks like we made it (laughs) i guess so (laughs) i am also though what you said where you know you just said that everybody is so nice and that's really fucking true like i i i haven't had out of the cons and everything i haven't had anybody come up to me yet who's made me feel uncomfortable everybody has been so kind i was i mean i'm in london right now i was at one of my favorite bars here the shacklewell arms and a guy i was hanging out with one of my friends and a guy came up to us and and recognized me from game of thrones stuff and he was like it's so nice i forget your name if you're listening to this but he was so kind <laughs> and just kind of like lost his mind and was like why are you here <laughs> i was like i like london and i spend time here when i can uh since i'm a full-time student so i get time off but i mean even he was like super kind and being at the con it's that times a million but everybody is always so fucking sweet and it always makes me so happy that it's like a weekend where you get to see you know your your family members but you also get to see and meet all of these new pals that are also just like lovely sunshiny human beings that now you just get to know it's really cool oh
1: definitely and but i think the weirdest thing that happened is a lot of people like never introduce themselves so it would like i <laughs> they'd be like Matt or Joe it's so nice to meet you and they'd like want to shake hands and they tell me like their favorite theories or they tell me like uh, how much the stuff I make has meant to them and then I'd be like what's your name by the (laughs) way (laughs) Can, can I know your name so I can talk to you okay cool thank
0: you yeah and I always find myself really anxious about like am I going to not recognize someone from Twitter that I actually really like because maybe their profile picture isn't a photo of them. And then I'm going to look like a real <laughs> dick. And this is my nightmare.
1: It happened to me like five times where somebody expected me to know them and I didn't. Yeah. And I was like, and then they said like their username or like uh, their Twitter handle or something. And I'm like, oh,
0: you. Hey. Isn't that funny? And then you're like, no, I genuinely really fucking love you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just sorry I don't recognize your, like, your tiny icon right
0: please post (laughs) more pictures of your face so i know you
1: (laughs) i will like the selfies i'll do it it's
0: true i want to like my friend's selfies because it lets me know that they're Mm -hmm. feeling themselves so i love it
1: it was a lot of fun though and uh, the Con of Thrones of the last two years were I think the highlight of each of my last two years those, those two weekends
0: same I well I was in Glasgow staying with uh, sweet angel of a woman Kate Dickey and her family who mm. are just amazing and we were talking about our experiences at Con of Thrones and I told her that my first year um I saw my therapist afterwards. She asked how it was. And I all I could say was that it was transformative. Mm. But it's odd to think about because it was like nothing in comparison to how the second year felt. And that was also nothing in comparison to how the third year felt. Um, so every year, it seems like a real progression. And it's an honor to be a part of it and an honor to get to be friends with all of you. It's really lovely
1: it is really awesome especially because year after year um (laughs) i'm a i'm a fairly shy person normally and i get uh very anxious about these kind of things Mm -hmm. and every both years so far uh sue has basically uh said to me in like private message like matt i'm gonna put you on a bunch of things you're doing you're, you're gonna do great it's gonna be awesome i'm like And once I get there, it is really awesome, Mm -hmm. but not beforehand.
0: No, that was last year when Sue asked me, because I haven't submitted any panels or anything yet. Sue has just been like, hi, I want you to do this. And every time I'm like, (laughs) me? (laughs) You like me? (laughs) You want me to do that again? I didn't fuck up last year. I know that that's not the case anymore. I mean, we all go through, I think, aspects of imposter syndrome where it's really, really easy to be like but I don't I don't put out content like other people I know put out content (laughs) but I think for me at least this was the year that I got over that and just enjoyed the ride instead of questioning it too much but Sue has been like hugely 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 instrumental in uh, my positive feelings about my place within the community uh, as as well as of course the support of all my pals, which is amazing too. But <laughs> Sue kind of being like, "Hi, pick pick x amount at least. Uh, go forth." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, okay."
1: <laughs> I had to tell her not to put me on a Z's level of panels this year
0: because
1: <laughs> I, if I let her, she would have. She probably would have put me on like every single panel I could.
0: Didn't he do nine? He and Asher, I think they both I did, did nine.
1: I think I did seven or eight, and Aziz was down last year, I think he did 12 or 13.
0: God, I did six this year. An,
1: he's an animal. Yeah. Actually, uh, Sue's responsible for my YouTube channel, too, <laughs> That's, oh. which is kind of funny. I had been thinking about it for a while because I really uh, enjoy YouTube, I really enjoy watching videos, especially educational videos, I watch tons and tons of those. And I've been thinking for a while, like, well, a lot of people it just seems like they just sort of read theories. I have theories. I have original ones. So I can probably just do this. How hard can it be? But because of my anxious and nervousness, I didn't want to do it. She basically just told me like, Matt, you're just gonna just go make one. Just make one. I'm sure it will be great and you're gonna everyone's gonna love it. And I'm like, I don't think they will. I'm gonna get like fifty views or something like that. Nobody's gonna care. And then a year later I have like fifteen thousand subscribers. I have videos that have hundreds of thousands of views and it was just like, Yeah, I guess I should have just listened to
0: it. <laughs> Sometimes you just kind of have to do the thing, even though it's terrifying. I came to terms with before I started this podcast, I kind of accepted being like, even if nobody listens to this, Is it something that I want to do regardless and will have fun doing? And that has been the case so far since I'm literally just picking people in the community that I love and find (laughs) fascinating and talking to them about their feelings and about their experience within the fandom, which I find really interesting. Yeah,
1: definitely. I do the same thing where I think there's there's a very easy way to be good at youtube i guess in the game of thrones community where you can just sort of like talk about popular theories or you can like read stuff from like uh, the world of ice and fire or just do background information but i i decided i wanted to make things that like i was really interested in like personally like original like sometimes like semi-original takes and like videos i would want to watch and that's sort of what i made and that's that was one of the funny things where um where we were going into con of thrones and i was unsure if i want to do a panel and i was like i don't know if i have anything interesting to say on that and sue (laughs) fired back like you made a video on how strong a minor house (laughs) from the books that nobody cares about and you got like ninety thousand people to watch it i think you'll be fine
0: yeah she's given me some uh come to the old god's talks too where like and then I'm like okay thank you Sue like I'll stop thank you
1: for the confidence I'll do it I'll
0: stop being mean to me now thank you I understand that my voice is valid and valued thank you and kind of like move on as best I can so yeah yeah, Sue is great we can wrap that up in a fucking bow and just like shout it from all the mountaintops.
1: (laughs) yeah Sue is responsible for quite a lot of people going in the community.
0: (laughs) So with uh, with Game of Thrones, you started watching it. You slowly started taking part in the community, and that seemed to kind of snowball into being more involved in the community. And then Mm -hmm. sneaking up on you with Con of Thrones, and then we slowly took over your entire life, and it became real and not just on the internet, as it seemed it was before that. Uh, What was it about Game of Thrones that was different than other things that you liked? So, because I know you said that you typically were a sci-fi person, uh, fantasy isn't something yeah. that you were quite interested in, which me either, aside from Lord of the Rings, which I was obsessed with. <laughs> so what was it that set Game of, Game of Thrones, you know, in, in this other category of something that you were, I can uh, pretty confidently say, a bit obsessed with? <laughs> <laughs> pretty
1: confident, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I tend to um, pick up and drop hobbies pretty fast. Where I'll get to the point where I've kind of done everything I want to do, and then I move on to something else. That happens quite a lot in my life. The same with like um, with TV shows or different kinds of fandoms. Very few of them stick with me, mm-hmm. because I don't know. I kind of run through all the things I'm interested in, and then I just move on to find like the similar sort of thing in a different um, a different place. And with Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire, like every time I thought I was done with something there was like another great essay somebody had posted another like a three-hour podcast on something I had never thought about Mm -hmm. before all these like amazing like details and layering of information that it just kind of kept going in a way that is very unusual for me where I I think it's just a credit to George that he's put so much thought into everything that it's kind of like a An amazing like fandom onion no matter how far I keep pulling down I always keep finding new interesting things to think about and that's that's very hard for me I struggle with boredom quite a lot
0: Mm. Game of Thrones is one of those things where you know you want more information there is always more he's created subcontent on top of subcontent so that you have just all of these different areas to kind of fill in the gaps of what you're looking for right
1: Uh, definitely and there's always i think the unusual part is that no matter how how like deep you tend to go there's always people who are interested in talking about that back and there's always more people that are like oh that's cool let's explore that more and that's that's fairly unusual i would say like a lot of times when people uh dig too far into different like book series or different mediums or things like that there's a there's a tendency to say like you're you're overthinking it. You, you've gone too far. The author didn't put this much thought into it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that deep, that kind of thing. That happens quite a lot. And for for whatever reason, the Game of Thrones and the Song of Ice and Fire fandom really does not, it doesn't seem to have a bottom for, like, if you want to keep going, if you want to do comparative analysis between, like, Game of Thrones and H.P. Lovecraft, God help you, there is an audience for that <laughs> if you want to do it.
0: Was there a moment that you knew that you were specifically hooked
1: this is this is gonna be kind of an unusual thing because it's not like a moment in any of the books or like anything on the tv show it was actually when i discovered a uh, house dane
2: uh-huh
1: um of of uh chloe's favorite uh, with her shardane <laughs> and i found them on the a song of ice and fire wiki and i was reading through them and i was like the way they're set up and the way arthur dane and ashara and they have this like magical cool sword and this like huge fantasy castle i'm like these must be like the secret protagonists of the story or something like that it's like they're set up so much to be the heroes of this story just from like the way they're described and it's like instead it's the starks and it was one of those things where it's like i don't understand why it's not the danes why aren't the danes the heroes of this story that's how it always works in fantasy stories they're the ones with this with the magical sword they're the one with the greatest swordsman in the land and this like beautiful daughter and this like incredible history going back so far and nobody knows who they are i'm like and they're a minor house what's what's going on here i don't understand this
0: Oh, man, I love that.
1: Because <laughs> that's how my brain works. That's actually the first theory I ever wrote. I wrote a theory that, like, Arthur Dane is secretly alive, that he survived the Tower of Joy, essentially to, like, end up being, like, an Obi-Wan Kenobi figure mm-hmm. sort of thing, where he's, like, hiding out. And uh, the genesis of that was, like, I just couldn't believe they were all dead, <laughs> that they were done.
0: I mean, I think that we're seeing this same sort of denial happening after season eight. So it's understandable.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, kind of similar sort of thing. It's like, wait, why? Why did my protagonist die? Why aren't they? What? How does this work?
0: That's such a beautiful thing about this series, though. So I'm not mad at it. I'll poke fun at things, but I still appreciate it.
1: (laughs) I appreciate it, too.
0: Was there a moment in the show that got you, or did that passion translate over to the books kind of as soon as you got your hands on them?
1: It translated over to the books pretty readily. Uh, with the show, I don't think there was a specific moment where I was in. It was just like, I just kept watching another episode mm-hmm. where I, I pretty quickly cut the cord on shows if I'm bored with them. And I just like, I kept not being bored and said I was really engaged, which... Like, a lot of times with shows, there's, like, a lull in the middle of the season, and, like, the best parts are usually the ending pieces or the first episode of the season. It was, like, the whole way through, I was like, I- I'm still interested. This is still going. And once I got my hands on the books, I was like, oh, there's so much more to get into. And I didn't even know it was a POV style. <laughs> I didn't even know that it was it wasn't a third-person thing like it is in the show where there's no camera. It's from the inside the characters' minds. And that was just, that was so much more depth I could get into. I'm like, I didn't know that John was an angsty-like teen. Mm. I didn't, like, as, as angsty as he is in the, in the books versus the show, where Kit kind of shows it sometimes where he's upset and he kind of flies off the handle a little bit. But in the books, his internal POV is so... <laughs> it felt so much like me in, like, uh, middle school and early high school when I was like, I didn't even know John Snow was like this. <laughs> Because he's so surly on the outside, and it, especially the look into the characters' minds has opened up so much.
0: Yeah, it's a thing that I'm mildly emotionally terrified to get into, because I already, like, I already like project a lot um, and read into things from the outside, which I find really fascinating. I like doing that, but I am a bit nervous mm-hmm. to have that that. Ugh, internal monologue of these characters that I already have a lot of feelings for and know exactly what they're thinking. I don't want it. <laughs> it makes it so much better. I know.
1: It improves it. Much more than like the details and the trivia. It's getting to see from their perspective.
0: Well, yeah, you know I'm an emotional pervert, so that's why I watch this show. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> You're not going to be able to make it through the book, because there's going to be so many tears on the pages that it's is going to destroy it
0: i know that well i'm waiting until after grad school because there's no way that i can balance both of these things and successfully do them Mm. each uh and one is my career so i have to do it (laughs) so do you have i know the answer to this but i'm asking anyway do you have a favorite character
1: (laughs) i do have a favorite character um (laughs) It's actually different for the books in the show. Uh, the books, it's a character named uh, Duncan the Tall, mm. which has kind of showed up in the show a little bit. He's the protagonist of the short stories from The Night of Seven Kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's basically like Brienne and Sandor if they weren't like destroyed emotionally by their childhood, yep. sort of, mm-hmm. of a similar character. But my, my favorite character in the show is uh, Maester Eamon, which... Always has people go, What?
0: That's shocking to me. I I I knew that your favorite character from the show is Maester Eamon because we have talked about it, because Maester Eamon mm-hmm. um, is a character that I also hold very near and dear to my heart and have a lot, a lot of feelings for. And I didn't know that you've had people be surprised at that.
1: Tons of people. Everyone expects you to Well, I everyone has expected me to pick like um, major characters, or, 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 or the characters that I have written uh, much more theories about, mm-hmm. or that I made more videos about. Like, I have made a ton of videos about Jon. I made a ton about Daenerys, but I don't. I don't think Daenerys is in my top five favorite characters, and Jon's like number four or five, I think. Mm-hmm. But Aemon is is definitely my favorite. I think because like he gets he gets not that much screen time, uh, where especially his big speeches from the books and his really big scenes kind of get uh, carved down a little bit because that's the what happens with adaptation. Um, like his big thing in A Feast for Crows is his dying scenes when he's on the boat called the Cinnamon Wind with Sam. Um, it, it goes a little differently. He's on his way to Old Town instead of uh, just dying at the wall. But it's like several chapters of Amon opening up as a person and like letting all these walls he he's built around himself emotional walls from his trauma from his past and the loss of his family and kind of being a bit of almost a failure despite how intelligent and how wonderful and wise he is and as he knows he's dying and as he hears about Daenerys at the same time it kind of like almost reignites him it's like a dragon coming back to life and it's it's such a beautiful uh writing from George, especially his death scenes, like the um where he says, I dreamed I was old and asking for egg, those scenes are strung out a lot more in the books and they're so wonderful. But you because of the way I remember things, when, when I see the show version, actually we were talking about this earlier today, where you were probably watching the same compilation <laughs> of like every Eamon scene. Yeah. <laughs> I watched or while well, I listened to the um Eamon's dying scenes again. Yeah. And I can sort of I can layer them on top of each other. I'm like, oh you sweet old man.
0: I'm already I love you so feeling much. quite emotional.
1: <laughs> I can I can I can go more. I can go deeper. Eamon Amon <laughs> is an emotional favorite for me.
0: Yes. For me too. Uh, um I I've always felt really drawn to Eamon, but I mean my favorite character is John. There's no one who would ever listen to this podcast and be surprised about that. You all know this about me. And so Eamon <laughs> <laughs> being such a guiding force for John and especially in in the end, when all is said oh, and done oh, my heart. I know, to have Eamon still be such a sort of North Star for John and to have John be able to look back at the wisdom that Eamon imparted on him. And have that inform his choices is really just fuck me up fam in my clinical opinion fuck me up
1: (laughs) (laughs) i i did the same thing i was watching that um the finale and when john and Tyrion started getting onto that subject i was like in my heart of hearts, I know the way the adaptation works is that they, they, as I was saying, they cut stuff down and they leave um, a lot of details and nuance on the cutting room floor because they're making a TV show, they're not writing a book. And I was like, I, I don't know if they're going to talk about Amon, but I'm i'm positive john's thinking about it and then he said that line and i was like oh my god he remembers it they're having him remember it they're having him say it's not an internal thing like john always does where he just thinks and broods and then says something he's actually explaining his thought process and "And it's amen and i love it It It's the best
0: i was shocked
1: especially because i i really loved Tyrion's reaction to it Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I really love about Eamon as a character is that I would say he's probably the smartest character in the books or the show. He's wildly intelligent. He like runs circles around Tyrion even. And when John says Eamon's logic back to him about love and duty, Tyrion looks at him like, I've never thought about it that way. I'm like, damn right you haven't, Tyrion, (laughs) because Eamon's wisdom is so high above your head.
0: You've got nothing on my grandfather, Maester Eamon, or I should say my great great uncle.
1: (laughs) Great, 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 great uncle. I think yeah. it's three greats. It's two or three. He's way back there.
0: I All I know is that he's the greatest, so.
1: He is the greatest. And I think he's, I think a lot of people um, tend to see him because he is a secondary character or a tertiary character in the books and the show. Um, and they sort of see him that way, where it's like his impact on Jon and his impact on the Night's Watch. And we were actually talking about it, his massive slam on Alistair on Thorne when he's like, <laughs> "How do you know when somebody's always lying?" He's like, "I grew up in King's Landing." It's like, drop the mic, walk out of so there, line maester, deserved your ass. <laughs> but him as a him as a person and how much you actually get from him, where like the the death the love is a death of duty speech and his kill the boy speech those are really really important for john as a character as we saw in the finale they're super important they stuck with him years later but i actually wrote a um a long theory that ended up being a 45 minute video where i went through and i pieced together his childhood and his teenager his teenage years and what he was like as a young adult and as he got a little older and how he ended up at the wall and seeing how all those speeches are not just, they're not just like philosophical rhetoric. They're personal to him. They're deeply personal. He's talking from experience. You don't see that often from characters like him, like the elderly character that instructs the young character usually dies off kind of quickly and their purpose is just imparting wisdom. But he's hes a whole character, even in those short moments. And it's so lovely.
0: Yeah, I, I see his character um, in a lot of ways similar to Sirio, who is obviously one of my other favorites, who has such little screen time, but their impact is felt so deeply throughout the entire series. I have goosebumps right now thinking about it. But I mean you mentioned it the the specifically for me The Kill the Boy speech where he you know he literally says, You'll find little joy in your command, but with luck you'll find the strength to do what needs to be done. Ugh. I know that is literally Ugh. And John says that when Tyrion is asking him, in other words, to kill Danny, he repeats Love is the Death of Duty because he knows that he he doesn't know what is right. And he'll never know what is right. And it's gonna haunt him for the rest of his life, just like Eamon told him it was going to. And that bucks me up forever. But I think I think a lot about that and the fact that those two scenes mirror very similarly. Uh, Ned and the Crips talking to Varys, mm. where Ned was very headstrong and like, no, I'm not going to uh, lie and say that, you know, I did this shit, I'm going to be really honest and I'm standing my ground. And uh, he he gave the other really wonderful speech, which is, you know, you think my life is some precious thing. And Varys in his parting words says, what of the life of your daughters? Is that, you know, is that precious? And Tyrion does Mm -hmm. the exact same thing to Jon. As he's walking out, Mike drops, what of your sisters? Do you think that they'll bend the knee? Like, do you see that happening? Um, It's one of those mirrors for me of Ned and Jon, but also of Jon's growth and learning. And Eamon has so much to do with that, because Eamon took over where Ned stopped. And it, it means a lot to me.
1: He totally he really stepped in more than anyone else, I think, to be a parent to John. Like J. R kind of did, J.R. Mormont, he did. where he was sort of like a gruff father figure. But I think Eamon was like the first mom that John ever knew. His role in his in John's life is really supporting him emotionally and having a lot of empathy and helping him to explore what's making him angry why he wants to do things in a way that nobody's ever really been there for him and it's so great that aemon does that there's actually a line from the books that doesn't make it into the show where uh and aemon were were essentially talking about how they knew john would run away after he heard what happened to ned and how they knew what he was going to do and they stepped in to try and like make sure he guided himself back so they didn't have to like send a band out to kill him and it's it's such lovely amounts of empathy from Aemon to know that he was going to do that because he thought about that himself. Mm-hmm. In his in his love is a death of duty speech, he recalls how he would have done exactly what John was going to do, but he was held back because when House Targaryen fell, he was old and he was blind and he was feeble. He couldn't. But you, especially the way that the um, that's played in the show, you can see in the actor's eyes the anger when he thinks about what happened, even knowing Ares was a terrible person that what happened to his family and, and how they wiped out his line. And it's so, it's so wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> It's such great writing and Eamon's not a main character. It doesn't have to be there. And it is, and it makes him so human where I think a lot of times those kind of characters are sort of flat moral compasses for characters. And he's not, he's not flat. He's speaking from experience, not just from an intellectual state. He understands what John is going through and tries to help him.
0: That honestly, you earlier saying that Eamon is sort of like the mother that John has never
1: had, <laughs> yeah,
0: just uh broke my heart quite a bit. I'm struggling over here,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's really beautiful. He really is. I mean, and he can because Eamon's not really caught up in. His I, his identity of being like a gruff, tough guy, like J.R. and Ned kind of are, where he's not really worried about being masculine. He's worried about doing what has to be done for that moment for Jon Snow and the guy who's probably going to get himself killed if he goes down the path he's going to. And it doesn't matter to him about um, what other people think of him or how he's perceived he knows it's the right thing and that's always i think the choice aemon made throughout his life which i think is so lovely but i
0: love too that aemon never told him what was right or wrong he literally said i'll not tell you to stay or go you must make that choice for yourself and live with it for the rest of your days as i have Ugh. and i think about that so much when i think of john asking Tyrion if he did the right thing which is so like, painful for me. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> the 10
1: years later. Yeah, yeah,
0: ask me again in 10 years. It, it, it is the most painful bit of the finale for me to know that Eamon told him, you'll never maybe know what exactly was right or what was wrong, but you have to make a choice and then live with it and move on. And I think that the end of Game of Thrones was Jon recognizing that, that no matter what the choice was, right or wrong, he's never going to know, but he has to move on.
1: Especially because we know that Aemon really embodied those choices. When the Targaryens fell, like he could have gone south and become Aemon Targaryen again. He could stop being Maester Aemon. It's happened before. People have thrown off their vows. They could. Have, he could have been an oathbreaker if he wanted to. He could have gone to see Viserys and Daenerys and Bravos and prop them up, and chose not to. And he has to. And he has to live personally, knowing that Robert spent. Daenerys's entire life trying to kill her up to that point and part of the reason is because he had to choose not to help her and how that weighs on him as a person his vows and his duties on the night's watch and being a maester versus his familial ties. He understands perfectly what John's going through, which is so great.
0: And in so many ways that he doesn't recognize because they're actually fucking related.
1: Yeah. <laughs> which makes it even better. He's acting like family to John and he doesn't even know he's family. I know. But he's their family in arms. You ever
0: think about that? You get so upset, like when you said, you know, Eamon is clearly angry, and he gets so upset when he's talking about the children, like his poor son and the children, even the little children. And he's so angry that would have been John.
1: That was John. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was that was John for Ned, absolutely. Yeah,
0: if Ned hadn't made the giant fucking sacrifice he did, that would have been John. John would have been dead too.
1: Oh, I love I him. I know he's such a good character. He could have an entire story written about himself, which which would be like a novella just about his life. And it would be so good, because, especially because they sort of left this out of the, the show a little bit, but he's deeply involved with prophecy and magic. And he's one of the few characters that really has, like, a bead on it. Like, they kind of left this out. Aemon's the person that convinced Rhaegar that he was the chosen one by letter. Oh, God! <laughs> they corresponded. He's responsible for what Rhaegar did in a way, and he knows it. Oh no. He knows it because he and Rhaegar corresponded. They actually like theory crafted uh, the prince that was promised. He explains it in the books where he says like I thought the the smoke and tears were from Summerhall where uh, when Rhaegar was born and the red comet was this and that kind of stuff. And they did that stuff and he set Rhaegar down that path. And eventually Rhaegar decided instead that it would be his children that would be the prince that was promised that would instead of himself. But, you know, that that's an extra burden that Eamon wears, yeah. that his interest in this stuff and how he loves prophecy and he loves esoteric knowledge and he loves reading, the things he's passionate about killed his family. Like, how do you live with that?
0: I never thought about that because I didn't read the books.
1: <laughs> yeah, they left it out.
0: I don't know what a life to have led for him.
1: It's an incredible life, especially because on his deathbed, he actually remembers more than just egg. He remembers his other siblings and how he tried to help them. And he actually there's a line where he says, uh, well, I hear the, my sister singing to their children again. And it's like, you that just breaks my heart.
0: <laughs> so why do you think that people don't give our wonderful grandfather, Eamon, the respect that he deserves within the <laughs> fandom.
1: I think it's because, I think it's largely um, time on the screen, especially in Game of Thrones, where he has a much more significant role in the books, He, uh, especially from Samuel Tarley's perspective. But in the show, they cut out a lot of that and just sort of... They used him as a tool for pushing Jon along, for the most part. And being being a cog in the wheel sort of of the show which fair enough I mean they have a lot of story to tell Mm -hmm. Eamon you can't put everything in there but like he's he especially in the books he's much more directly responsible for John being uh elected Lord Commander yeah
0: directly like he
1: there was manipulation behind the scene behind the scenes and he has much uh he has much longer conversations with characters and he has a much more critical role especially in John's um, tenure as Lord Commander. And,
0: and in the show, he casts the winning vote.
1: He does cast the winning vote, but it, I'm going to say in the books again, Like, if you guys are listening, by the way, take a shot every time I say <laughs> that. You will be <laughs> messed up by the end of this.
2: <laughs> Can't wait.
1: Um, he he puts the idea in Sam's head that he can, he, he can split the vote by um, using, essentially, manipulations, but he does it so subtly because... Again, he is incredibly, incredibly smart. Mm-hmm. He's like the smartest character in the show. I mean, in the show, in the books, I would say that's currently alive, except for maybe King Bran and Bloodraven. He's that level of intelligence.
0: I love you giving Bran the respect that he deserves on this podcast.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm writing a video. I'm finishing a video about King Bran. And love yeah, it. I am definitely on board with it. But I, I would also go on to say that I would a lot of... Eamon's backstory and putting all this stuff together and seeing him that way is really spread out as information. There's no one that says, like, at at Sam's speech when he dies, he lays out a bit of Eamon's life and the same in the books, but you kind of have to line it all up to see the total story of him and how he impacts and his total empathy and how it all works together in a way that is not, I would say, on the surface of his character you have to dig for it a little bit more and when you have a character like that they're not going to be the most popular usually
0: i literally saved sam's eulogy of maester amen (laughs) it it really i mean it's it's not a stretch to say it gives me maybe a feeling
1: (laughs) it gives it gives it gives me feelings it's so beautiful actually the the background for my phone is that artist robert m ball that does the um the the posters the uh what is it the beautiful, the beautiful death posters
0: yeah he's incredible
1: my phone background is ammons for that with the oh, with the
0: that one the is dragon so made of fire beautiful. coming from his body there are a few that i would really love and uh kate has her death uh that sounds really odd out of context but <laughs> uh, Kate who plays Lysa I'm going to call her Lysa Tully here she, she's earned that um, she has her death uh, framed above her couch and I slept on that couch for the last week so I would wake up and it was like the first thing that I saw was poor sweet Lysa getting thrown out the moon door by little Aww. finger but his, his work is incredible it's just beautiful
1: it's incredibly beautiful
0: yeah, and I love—I don't know—I love the Sam's eulogy was beautiful, and to not only loop together, or I could make it a pun and say train together, uh, these aspects of him being a part of the Night's Watch, but also uh, being blood of the dragon—I think was really important. That, but now his fire has gone out; will always kill me.
1: Oh, it's so beautiful, especially because you can tell Sam is. I think Eamon was his first, like, real friend in a sense. Where him and John are bros, they'll always be bros. But John is not book smart; he does not like reading. They they're kind of like opposites attract thing. Eamon and Sam are very much um, compatible with each other intellectually. They have the same passions; they love the same things. And I think for Sam, losing Eamon was a real loss in a way that would be hard to replace especially in that world where like there's no internet he can't go out and just find somebody else that really loves reading and like getting into the minutiae of all this stuff yeah. especially at the uh, at castle black those guys don't exist
0: yeah that was sam's mirror in in a way and i think that there is a lot of comfort in that even though obviously he and john are brothers and not just in the Night's Watch sense of the word, but they
2: mm-hmm.
0: threw and through our ride or dies. And upon rewatch this year, like that was a thing that that really fucked me up more than I expected was how much I think John was taken aback by his feelings for Sam or like how much he allowed himself to be cared for by Sam and vice versa. But Eamon, I, I don't know. I think that so when Kate, so Kate hadn't seen season eight. And, and wanted to watch it with me, which is also an honor. <laughs> and when the final bit of John quoting Love is the Death of Duty, I forgot that that was a line that was even said. And I ugly <laughs> cried to a degree that I <laughs> like can't even feel shame about if I tried because it, it was past that point. I forgot that he had said that. And I, I feel like, I don't know, I, I know that I've come back to it more than once now but I'm still so surprised that people have been surprised at your caring so much for that character because it seems really apparent how much of an effect that he's had on the story overall I don't know that John would have made the same decisions that he had if he hadn't had Eamon's guidance and without that would he have won the big war you know would he have gotten everyone together would he have had the strength to do that I don't know
1: Uh, Probably without Eamon, he's dead in A Game of Thrones. I agree. The first book.
0: (laughs) Yeah, which, in a way, I mean, I know that people argue about John not being or being the prince that was promised, but the fact of the matter is that without John, these groups of people would not have been united in fighting the Night King, and so I think that he definitely was, but you look at it like, well, without Eamon, would John have had the emotional strength to have done it in the first place?
1: No, definitely not, and I think... um it's i think it's really clever by george so with the knowledge that eamon tried to push rhaegar forward as the prince that was promised and it failed and it led to the death of so much of his family and all that horror it's actually it's ironic that the person he tried to push forwards uh. completely backfires on him and the one that's actually probably the prince that was promised Stop. and he doesn't know what he helps actually ends up being correct it's like if just being himself, just being a wonderful person <laughs> instead of seeking it out. Oh God, I'm sorry, Sam.
0: I just buried my face in a towel.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. But it, it's such a j it's such a George twist on it that like he wasn't he's not trying to make John the prince that was promised, but he does by accident.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I And the guy never... he tries
1: to make him, yeah.
0: I had never really thought about it from that angle, but yes, that is very intense.
1: (laughs) When you get to reading it, read it with the knowledge that Jon is uh, probably the prince that was promised and that he's Aegon Targaryen. And it's a completely different experience seeing it. Like, you can see George winking at you the entire time, like, hey, look, I'm giving this character, like, all the knowledge he needs, but you don't think it is at this point
0: i mean i definitely think that john was the prince that was promised and i know that i'm also biased but i think that there were obviously it couldn't have happened without everyone that was involved but everyone was involved because Mm. of john so that seems like a really obvious bit to me uh but again biased my favorite character i've never talked about john (laughs) so much on this podcast yet we're in the third episode it's happening
1: at some point you're gonna get somebody whose favorite character is john and you're just gonna go off
0: saving it I think I don't know I'm nervous I can't I don't know that I can do that for a full (laughs) for a full (laughs) episode it's gonna ruin me or it's just gonna be me like dear diary here are all my feelings about Jon Snow and why since (laughs) sweet Angel Bex uh, at Connor she was like I heard someone cried during the Jon panel (laughs) and I was like girl you know it was me come on I cried during that whole thing (laughs) But it's me crying, so I'm not like an obnoxious, weepy mess. I'm just like quietly wiping away tears the whole time. Anyway, my big question here is, we obviously love Eamon for all of these reasons, for the fact that he was an amazing human being. He helped our hero, Jon Snow, I'm saying it, the prince that was promised, survive and and do what needed to be done to save, you know, just like the entirety of humanity or whatever. But what was it personally for you that that got him? For me, you, you really nailed it when you said that he was sort of the first mother that John had ever had, which is odd out of context, but he was really empathetic and supportive to John. And obviously, that is an alternate version of me. So I feel a lot of empathetic feelings (laughs) about him for that reason. Uh, But what was it for you that that was really taken by him aside from kind of admiring those wonderful qualities that he has
1: so the thing that really made me relate to Eamon emotionally is that this is this gonna be a little bit personal but um growing up um i moved a lot and i have kind of n- very nerdy kind of weird interests in the world that are they're that very much not in the norm so i ended up um I ended up bullied quite a lot, but not, like, physically, because as you've met me in person, I'm quite tall mm-hmm. and quite strong, so nobody's, like, going to beat the crap out of me. But it was a lot of, like, um, like putting me down and, like, telling the things I enjoyed were stupid and feeling like I couldn't talk about the things I was really interested in because, you know, I would always get made fun of for it. And Eamon as a character, he he's such a great person like empathetically and he's always trying to do what's right and that's something i try to do personally too but there's also the side of him where he's really suppressed his love of magic his love of prophecy his love of trying to bring back the dragons and this entire part of his life that he is basically shut down and it's not something he ever he doesn't really talk about um again take a shot in the books. Um, <laughs> this comes out as he's dying, especially in his Feast for Crows chapters, and especially when he hears Daenerys is alive and she has dragons. It's like he comes to life, and it's this entire different side of this person that we haven't even seen yet, where he's wonderful already, and then it's become he becomes like a, a personally wonderful person, or that doesn't make sense, where he's like, he's personally becomes a whole person, where it's not just being good to people it's what he loves and it's his love of his family and his love of these weird obscure arcane topics that no one else really gets and that part of that part of his personality um it kind of happens with sam a little bit where i actually relate quite a lot to sam um that happens a lot in our fandom where Mm -hmm. people are like oh yeah i was totally like sam growing up (laughs) i'm like that with sam but the way Eamon comes out of it and just like he he, like he comes alive, and it's like when they say his fire went out. Well, his fire was lit again when he heard about Daenerys when she was alive, and I don't know. I just relate to that very much, especially in the Game of Thrones fandom, where like all this stuff that I've like written and all these YouTube videos is kind of an aspect of my personality. I sort of like shut down for like ten years mm-hmm. because I got tired of being bullied, so I just like I didn't talk about these things like reading and getting into TV shows and like learning about all this stuff was just something I just did like in my head. So that part of him really uh, spoke to me as a character. And I imagine it did for George because he had a similar kind of life where he was a giant comic book nerd. He loved reading stories and he was from New Jersey and his dad was a longshoreman, So like a big tough guy and he got bullied a lot. And it was only after he started writing and he started, um, reaching out to other people and going to these conventions which by the way is why he loves conventions even from a young age <laughs> he would meet all these people he's been writing to and all these people in the magazines he loves in the comic book uh letters that get published and gets to meet them sort of like us at con of thrones and he sort of came alive as a person i would say and i felt that very deeply reading aim and i was like i know that experience and then once you learn about john i mean george's history it's like oh that's where it comes from it's the exact same thing
0: was that something that you realized and worked through while it was happening or that you were able to like look back on and realize it afterwards?
1: It was something that I looked back on where I actually, I didn't like Samuel as a uh, as a POV character for a long time <laughs> because it did remind me so much of that time in my life I don't really like thinking about.
0: It sucks to be seen sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah, it sucks to see yourself on, on the page and it's like, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. That sucked to go through. But Eamon's sort of like a more how I feel now kind of character. And I was I was always drawn to him reading and seeing him on the screen uh, Especially because the way he interacts with people is very similar to me where it's very guarded and he's holding back stuff but it always comes across like the like intelligence and insight and Like trying to be a good person in spite of the fact that you're obviously like putting up a wall between yourself and other people Mm -hmm. because of like uh, your experiences my experiences as a child and so that part of it really resonated, especially after I wrote the, um, my Aemon the Dreamer theory, um, which I got turned into a YouTube video, which was 45 minutes long, basically <laughs> talking about all this. And I was like, oh yeah, so that's how I feel. <laughs> how Aemon feels.
0: How is it then seeing Aemon and Sam interact with each other?
1: It's kind of like a, a weird like time skip kind of thing. Where if teenage Matt showed up in the room right now and we were like talking to each other, that, that that's kind of what it, what it feels like seeing them, um, which I'm sure is how it felt for George and probably why a lot of people are really drawn to those interactions between them and why they're such good scenes, especially as translated to the show. Those, they it really, I think it really resonates with people, especially those two characters. They're much more familiar with each other, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like John and Eamon have more of a work-like relationship, but... Eamon and Sam really bond over their love of reading and introspection. And I think it would be kind of like that, where if George could talk to young George or if Matt could talk to young Matt, that would probably be what the interactions were like.
0: Yeah, I think that there's something emotional, like a fire that Eamon and John see in each other. But with Sam and Eamon, it is very much that they are very similar. They have very similar interests. They're very similar kind of humans. So I can't imagine how, I had never considered how odd that must be, relating to each of them at different phases in your life, and then seeing them interact with each other, it must be really overwhelming, but also maybe a a bit odd, but in a lovely way.
1: Yeah, it is kind of odd, and I think that's one of the reasons it comes through so well. I mean, honestly, people write from their own experience obviously mm-hmm. and George has a uh, limited experience himself so I think that's why some of his POVs come off better than others where it's something that he feels very deeply and I, I think the emotional core of their relationship is so very true as he's tried to work through his own issues as a person you can especially see in his writing and his short stories how much he's grown as a person so he and especially because he's written those things he can always go back and read them and remember what it was like so it's almost oddly like he can talk to himself mm-hmm. probably in some in some odd way reading these old stories which i don't think is an experience most people get and i think that's i'm just i'm just spitballing here that i think that's probably what inspired the decision to make eamon and sam close together and friends
0: so how did it feel then to see sam's end in the story be so aiming like
1: <laughs> um it was it was awesome that he went ahead and got that huge illuminated book made <laughs> that he encouraged uh the archmaster to write it the which was just a great joke from the show that Loved it's a completed it. volume of A Song of Ice and Fire, <laughs> and they slam it down on the table like, "Hey George, what's going on, buddy?"
0: George is like, but... "I finished the books in the universe."
1: <laughs> <laughs> Somebody finished your books. We did it for you, bro. <laughs> um, I don't know. I it, it was it. It's tough to sort of relate their decisions to each other. Um especially with where Sam ended up, because in Eamon's past, he actually rejected the life that Sam and Sam has. Yeah. He was offered to be the Grand Maester. He was offered to be the king, and he turned them down because he felt there was somewhere else he could do more good in the world, which is just, Eamon, my heart for you, my man. Uh, <laughs> but also, Sam's happy, and that's something Eamon was not. And I think in that sense, it's it was very cathartic to see what it would be like if aemon wasn't tortured by george r R. martin (laughs) if he wasn't a person that was just destroyed emotionally over and over and again what would it be like and it's like sam pretty happy on as a grand maester being recognized for all the great things he has done
0: that hurts and it's not wrong
1: (laughs) (laughs) it does hurt that's the thing about i think aemon for and sam for me as characters is that they do hurt to read Because it's like putting a mirror on myself. And like a lot of people read fantasy or they read sci-fi to escape those things.
0: Do you think that in a way, I haven't thought about this until literally this moment. But do you think in a way Sam sort of got the emotional ending that Eamon wished that he had got? Because Sam is both... You know, Maester, he like has this position of power, but he also has Gilly and baby Sam and baby John.
1: Mm. I think I think absolutely that Sam is living the life Eamon wished he had for himself, especially with his lines about how um, he was in love.
0: I know, once
1: and <laughs> he had to reject it. And his line about like the having a newborn son in your arms and how that probably meant what that meant for him knowing that sam was going out having that for himself like i mean little sam was not his son but like it doesn't really matter like he was his father anyway and it's all these things that Eamon really wished he could have had for himself yeah i think you're right that sam lived his dream <laughs> lived Eamon's dream for his own life
0: i think Eamon was like real hip for an old man <laughs> Because he had that line <laughs> to John, too, where he says, like, what is it? I don't remember it exactly, but it's like if if every, you know, Night's had man like, who lay with a girl had been beheaded, the wall would be manned by headless men. Like he understands yeah. that, you know, we all have wants and needs. And he has that long bit where he talks about, being in love, and he can still describe her face and and hear her and all of that, which I think about a lot in comparison to Robert, who is obsessed with the idea of Lyanna and not necessarily Lyanna the human, uh, who doesn't remember what she looks like or sounds like really. Um, So yeah, I, I think that, I think Sam is really living the life that maybe Eamon wanted, but also deserved. I think,
1: I, I think definitely. Uh, see his his whole thing that whole. I mean, we rewatched all of his stuff today, mm. and when he's res- describing the the woman that finally broke through his his guards and got to him, and the woman he actually loved, and and especially when you see how he treats Gilly. Yeah. Uh, if you go back and rewatch, how he treats Gilly is so sweet. Stop. Like she's a, she, <laughs> she's a wildling. She has. She has a, a Craster's kid and they hate Craster and it's all these things but I think the relationship between Sam and Gilly made made Aemon just be like I mean like you shouldn't be doing this Sam but also like I would totally be doing it too.
0: And he would have.
1: And he's so nice to her. He calls her Gillyflower all the time. He gives her a nickname.
0: Stop it. I've already cried a lot this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I probably cried hardest in this, really just thinking about the connection between John and Eamon. But then yeah, there was a lot that I hadn't considered between Sam and Eamon as well.
1: John and Eamon are I think are very is a very, very important relationship, but it's like I think like I said earlier, it's more like mother and son, whereas I think Eamon and Sam are more like I I don't know, maybe like um aunt and like or like uncle and nephew that kind of thing it's much Mm. more i think it's much more familiar relationship
0: do you watch bojack horseman i have not well never mind (laughs) 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 you showed it it's really wonderful uh this is now a bojack horseman podcast bojack has a character that is a teenage girl who comes into the picture later in the series and is in a lot of ways a mirror held up to how he was as a teenager i think uh that i believe helps him maybe realize some things but that's kind of how i feel about sam and amen in a very different way but
1: i can see what you mean like that, that makes sense mm-hmm. especially because of the way that george loves having just like characters like come out of the past in ways you wouldn't expect like um like how man's Ray uh man's raider is so similar to rhaegar as a character i mean not literally the same person we talked about this during <laughs> the yeah. life and death of fan theories it's not a thing <laughs> but it is kind of a thing that they have similar roles especially with how they relate to john and they have similar characteristics and it's like obviously sam and aemon are not the same person one's a targaryen one's, one's a tarly never gonna happen and like no matter how many time travel shenanigans like you try to invent but they at their core they really are similar people and he loves having people that shouldn't interact actually do it.
0: Well, I think Sam has also experienced a lot of in a similar yet very very incredibly different way a lot of the same kind of like struggles that John has where he has also kind of like broken his word and his honor in order to protect the people that he loves. AKA Gilly and Baby Sam. But does that make sense? That. Or is the champagne it, just hella kicking in? <laughs> <laughs> I
1: don't think the champagne's hella kicking in. I think you're I think you're digging deep on <laughs> Sam and Amen in a way that should be dig deep on.
0: The fun This thing, should be
1: a thing people talk about more.
0: <laughs> the fun thing about this is that I'm often not thinking about these things until the podcast happens. So this is me like Is this a thing? I'm just having feelings about this. Please listen.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's basically my YouTube channel. (laughs) I
0: love it. I have uh, a question that is not on topic with Eamon and Sam and John, which is my entire heart. Uh, Is there a character in the show that you hate, but in an irredeemable way, in a way that is not fun or interesting to you that you just legitimately all out hate? Stannis. I hate Stannis. <laughs> you got like the big <laughs> ugly laugh out of me.
1: <laughs> I think the way I said it too, like Stannis, was so I much anger not in my expect voice.
0: Expect that.
1: I hate Stannis.
0: <laughs>
1: I. Now, I'm gonna be clear because I've gotten I've gotten uh, pushback about this in the past. I don't hate Stannis as a character. I don't hate him at, for his role in the story and how he's written and what he's there for. Those are all George R. R. martin awesome great he I understand why he's in the story personally I can't stand the guy. I read him in the books I see him on the show and I want to clo- I want to turn the page I want to turn off the show. I hate him
0: look podcasting is an audio medium, so I can't really uh help right now but describe my face as just like full on cheshire cat (laughs) (laughs) i i think it's it's wild for such an avid redditor to hate stannis uh
1: yeah that that is that is an unusual part of well i mean i I think i'm just full of unusual takes people don't see coming they've let you stay i think Uh, I I hate Stannis for all the reasons I love (laughs) Aemon, where Stannis is, I I really see them as opposite characters, where Aemon had the chance for power, he had the chance to get everything he wanted in the world, he could have gotten paid off by, with everything he could have wanted, and he rejected them. And he turned them down and handed them off to people that were more interested, or maybe that he felt were more capable to do it, even though it was his right to do those things. Like the Great Council offered him the ability to be the king. When the Targaryens fell, he could have become Aegon Targaryen again and become a conqueror with Viserys and Danny, maybe at some point, or an advisor for them. And. He has so much empathy and so much kindness for people. And Stannis has, like, none. He's, like, he's such a dick.
0: <laughs> I love this. <laughs> to
1: everybody. He's such a dick. He has no empathy for every anybody. He really has trouble seeing beyond himself. And he's so entitled. He wants everything Eamon gave up. I think that's I think that's the way they're written and sort of to be opposites of each other.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He, he has, I think he's just, like, it's, it's like a really toxic personality where he thinks he deserves everything. He takes every slight personally and holds on to them forever and, like, kills his own brother <laughs> for a throne. And it's like, when you look at Aemon, not only did he not kill his brother for a throne, he gave his brother the throne Ugh. because he thought that was better. He thought that was a better choice for the world.
0: Good God.
1: It's like it's like the dark shadow of him.
0: I love this. I've never heard someone talk so passionately against stannis and i'm enjoying this
1: (laughs) i i understand that he has a lot of appeal for people especially with his i mean you said being a redditor yeah people love stannis because he's always like technically correct where he's like yes he does have a pretty good he has a the best claim available of the baratheons yes that is true so it's the the throne is his by rights and I guess by rights being the older brother, he should have Storm's End. But it's like, he got Dragonstone instead, which is like one of the biggest honors in the world. (laughs) He's the prince to the Iron Throne. Robert didn't even take it away from him when Joffrey was born, which he could have done. And he's like, I didn't get the castle I like, so like, screw all 'all." (laughs) y'all.
0: Look, even one of my ex-boyfriends' favorite character is Stannis, and he's like a delicate, wonderful man. If you're listening to this, I'm sorry that I've just called you out. But but I've never understood it.
1: It's, I think it's, I've talked to uh, poor Quentin a lot about this because, and Jeff, uh, or Brennan Fish because they both Both love Stannis. Both of whom are wonderful, yeah. They love Stannis, especially, which is odd because like, I would think Emmett would hate Stannis based on his personality, but loves him. And I think it's a lot of what people love about him is his tragic downfall Mm -hmm. where he has a really great story and he almost has like a redemption arc where he goes from being this terrible dick that nobody likes and just wants to be like technically correct all the time and actually does gain empathy and does do things that doesn't, that don't just benefit him and he really starts caring about the realm and I can see that upward arc as being something that's attractive to people especially um, where I think he's like stannis is a redditor i would say he would go on reddit if he was alive today he would love reddit and he would love arguing with people and like deep in the comments making like 50 replies about who's technically correct and going through and like points of law and obscure crap that nobody cares about
0: Uh, i love that so much genuinely when i asked stannis was not the person i expected to hear
1: Who do you think I would hate?
0: I don't know. I didn't have any expectations about it. Mine always, which I've shattered from the rooftops and will for the rest of my life, is always Maren Trant, who I think is the uh, most irredeemable character. She's terrible and a pedophile, and I'm excited Every time he dies, but I I don't know. I didn't I don't know why I didn't expect Stannis. I think because of Reddit. I don't know. I didn't know I didn't have any expectations. I didn't think it was gonna be Reddit and now I'm just like excitedly uh mouth spewing because (laughs) I'm so overwhelmed.
1: I'm gonna get so much crap on Twitter when this goes. Are you?
0: Oh no, for all the five people people who listen. No
1: Stannis is the best. (laughs) How dare you say that about him? He's not like that at all. It's like, eh, whatever. Stannis is just the worst. I was so happy when Brienne killed him.
0: (laughs) And he had like a a pretty solid death, too.
1: Oh, yeah. He has a great story. Go ahead, do your duty. It is an awesome story he has. I just personally despise him. Like, if he was a real person, I would want nothing to do with him. <laughs> I would, I would give him the, I would give him the finger, block him everywhere, and be like, "You can live off on your own, like self-aggrieved world where you think everybody's like not doing their duty by loving you." <laughs> and it's like, "See a Stannis."
0: But I also feel like. Sanus's end where people believe that Brienne would have maybe not killed him, which is wild because in what what aspect of her personality tells you that she wouldn't kill him. People who believed that Brienne wouldn't have killed him that he may still be alive feels a lot like people believing that <laughs> Danny is still alive in this in the series end.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree, like Somewhere Stanis is running through the woods, still alive. Yeah. He's going to show up in season eight and just like lead the army against the others. Just like, no, he's dead. His story is over. He killed his daughter. His wife hung herself. He failed. Melisandre gave up on him. It's over.
0: I just had a really quick fantasy, though, of him as, I don't remember his name, in Biodome, just like hiding out.
1: Oh, the, <laughs> the crazy scientist, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the two of them? That would be amazing. Biodome is mine by rights. Polly Shore is like Renly.
0: Stop. This has just become an intersection of everything I've ever loved.
1: He absolutely would be that crazy scientist while everyone else right? is like having a good time. He's like, This isn't what we're supposed to be doing. It's like, get over yourself, grump
0: viva los the seven kingdoms are mine
1: also he killed his brother like don't kill your brother
0: yeah don't do that it's it's not a great move to make
1: and then his daughter he killed his brother and his daughter
0: (laughs) so with the last season i only watched it once i feel like we should also talk about that right the fact that we both think that hashtag season eight was good actually um
1: it was The thing I think that both of us really love about this fandom is like the passion and the depth that people take these characters and the emotional way they relate to them, like how we were talking about with Heyman and Sam. And it's been so long, unfortunately, since the books were started and the fandom's so big that people have really, I I think, like taken ownership of the story and the way they want it to go in a way that they don't really with other other shows or other stories because they usually end quicker. You don't have the time to like be like, I want this show to go exactly this way. I want this arc to go exactly this way. You haven't had ten years to write out like how you think it should go, and it's really hard when it actually we have to come to terms with it, with the the fact that what you wanted and the things you were looking for is not where they were going. I agree. As much sense as it as much sense as it makes, and as valid as those feelings are, it's like. We're like even myself as the position I am in the fandom with like the theories I write like it doesn't bother me when they're not right no <laughs> because I'm not the one I'm not the one making the show I'm not the one writing the books um I want to see what I want to have what they're offering and that's okay if I'm wrong it doesn't mean that like it was a waste of time or anything it's just like they had a different vision it's their story
0: <laughs> I also think for me I With a brain that is sort of focused on psychology and the meaning behind things, um, I wasn't upset at having to draw my own sort of lines, my own parallel lines, but I know that other people were. Mm. I was admittedly, again, taking a kind of turn here, shocked at the amount of people who had very different understandings of motivations of characters than I did. Specifically, like Jamie leaving Brienne, I was shocked at oh, that how makes sense. many I was like on board how many people we knew who were like, Jamie just loves Cersei more than Brienne, so he left her.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, like Nikolai had a really good answer to that, yes, where I he agree. said like He said it was like a drug addiction where it was like. It wasn't, it's not logical because his feelings towards her aren't.
0: And I don't think that Brienne was just crying because she was like, oh my God, Jamie loves her more than me. She knew that that meant that he didn't believe that he was a good person who was worthy of the good love that she was giving him. He was still so preoccupied with the health and safety of this other person because abuse is really difficult and layered. Um, it it was it was so much more complex than just like Jamie loves Cersei more so he's going to her and I was shocked at the amount of people that wrote about that in such a simplistic way.
1: Yeah, what would you say was your favorite moment from season eight though? Because we're talking about uh, kind of like the negatives, like the discourse, like what really what really uh, got you going. What were what was like Sam's top three? We
0: are talking about the discourse. I think because the discourse really like fucked me up genuinely it, it like affected me in my day-to-day life for a bit where i was really really upset so it's nice to kind of get past it but mm-hmm. the positives of season eight i only just recently last week rewatched the finale but the last six minutes of the series
2: mm-hmm.
0: are my favorite of any at all like it it, it's overwhelming in a way that i don't have uh, enough words for i know that i've said before i said it on panels at least that i at one point had to come to terms with the fact that john might die and didn't know how i was going to handle that personally or um if that was really going to fuck me up a lot uh and to see john and Sansa and Arya and Bran doing well and happy and the things that they should be doing, the things that make sense for them, was really overwhelming for me. So I think my favorite mm. part in the series of A Game of Thrones is the last six minutes of the series. <laughs> that montage. They were, they were very
1: good six minutes. That
0: montage. Oh, the like... Honestly, the weed popping up north of the wall from the snow. And the little
1: kids running and John and. Goose.
0: It ends with a John Snow smile, even though the Danny Sands are really mad at me for believing that. But I think that just seeing a green weed growing north of the wall, clearly focused on it, signifies hope. Like there is hope, there is goodness lying ahead, even though there's also pain. I mean, that's life, right?
1: Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. What's yours? Um, I, I had uh, a few different favorite moments. Um, one of them, I think, like, the third one was the entire, um, from the second episode, the entire scene around the fireplace to, uh. and the song and Brienne being knighted, that whole sequence right to the end when they did the montage of the characters looking at each other. That was like absolutely wonderful in a way I can't describe. I can't put into words. It was like everything I wanted, and I didn't think I know. I didn't think I wanted. It was like just fuck me up, Game of Thrones, and it totally did. Well,
0: you know that my intro theme for this podcast is Jenny's song for a reason.
1: Oh, Jenny's song, <laughs> so good. I, I I I watch Game of Thrones like on my own. I just I don't watch it with other people. And when Jenny's song came on, I like I was like what is he actually singing that song holy shit and then like all the all the other lyrics like that came out from Florence and the Machine uh that was just that was just wonderful um I would say another favorite moment was um well I think my my top one is the same as yours that montage but specifically focused on John that was that was really great and I think um maybe my second favorite was probably with John again his um the Aemon moment yeah where it was like it was a callback in the same way that it felt like Knight of the seven kingdoms was where it was like this real deep cut where Aemon's been dead for a long time people have really kind of forgotten about him in the show he hasn't been brought up at all even though he probably could have like John could have mentioned that he knew Danny's relative to her at some point that could have come up it was like oh so he's just been written off the show and was like a present I didn't know I wanted
0: Yeah, I literally just buried my face in this towel that I've been crying into. (laughs) (laughs) I think I didn't expect to feel so um, emotionally satisfied by the ending. Yet, sad, too.
1: Very sad. It was like a gut punch. A lot of it was like a gut punch. I agree.
0: I knew what John was going to do, but I didn't want him to have to do it.
1: I kept hoping they were going to find a way around it.
0: How did you feel when you knew that it was happening?
1: As soon as John walked past Drogon, I kind of was like, all right, so Danny's dead. Yeah. But like, I was like, but you could tell from their conversation that John was really trying hard to find her moral core again. That he was trying to be like, he was trying to reach her on a personal level and be like, you don't have to do this. Like, you did a terrible thing, but like, there's always a way back. Like, him leaving the wall and coming back with his friends bringing him back. He's like, he's trying to do the same thing to her that like Pip and Gren did for him and aemon and jr where it's like you don't have to die for this you don't have to this doesn't doesn't have to define the rest of your life and she just like kept going she was john like going down the king's road to go fight with rob it was like he she's gone and he has to do it and it's just like terrible and how how it destroys him personally to have to kill her and and i know people had um had differing opinions about the chemistry between Kit and Amelia, which okay, fair enough. It was not, I think uh, obviously Kit and Eager was I mean, Kit and Rose was probably a more believable romance. Well, they're they're married. Between them. (laughs) Yeah, they're married. So like, if you're comparing it to that, I totally, I understand. (laughs) But like, I felt the emotions between them. I, I just I bought in. I was like, okay, these characters are like totally quickly in love and haven't thought through the consequences. And like, in that scene, they all came raining down and they realized all these problems that they had been just been like, it will be okay. We're in love. We don't have to worry about these things. We'll work it out because we love each other. And it's like, no, the things that are being asked of their relationship are just too big where it's really clashing up against their the cores of who they are at this point. And that was just so brutal to watch.
0: I have a lot of feelings about it. <laughs>
1: There's, I think that's I think that's the best part of season 8 the thing that's like the 10 years later thing that you, I mean I brought this up already I'm going to bring it up again, the, your conversation about that was really good but like there are parts of season 8 I'm going to think about for 10 years and thinking about like did John do the right thing and Jamie and Brienne and also like all the relationships between the Lannisters during this season, Theon's sacrifice, and like what Brand's role in all this, which isn't even the thing we've really talked about. It's like this huge overarching part of season eight that like, this gets like ignored, but it's like, you can't. it's, it's a big part of the plot going forward. Yeah. And like what the whole thing means. There's so much to dig into it. It honestly reminds me of almost like, I mean, Twitter, don't hate me. It feels like all it feels like we got like a new book in a way just like with how much you can dig into and the eventual plot lines and what they mean to you and what they mean to each other and where they're going from here. I think it's I thought it was really good.
0: I agree with that. I think a lot of a lot of the inspiration to start this podcast in itself is the Way that I recognize that there are parallels between me and John, the character, obviously not Kit, the human being (laughs) (laughs) who has to carry this burden for the rest of his life, but John, the character, where someone once said to me, you're not John, you're better than him. And I was like, I'm truly not. And if you don't understand that, you don't really know who I am. Like, you don't. (laughs) I I said that directly like you don't actually know who I am then because there's a lot of John that is also within me and I his existence which the only time that I've met George R. Martin I gave him a very simple like thank you so much but that thank you embodies like a Thank you for introducing me to all of these people that I love, who have encouraged me to do all of these wonderful things in my life. Thank you for creating a character who's inspired me to go back to counseling, who inspired me to go back to grad school, and inspired me to, like, really want to make these changes in my life. And that's unified, not just the character, but the people that I've met through it have been, uh, just like I said, Really, really transformative has changed my entire life. You're part of that too. I hope you know that.
1: Oh. Thank you, sam I'm glad to be a small part of this whole transformation of are you gonna be Aegon or are you gonna be John Do- oh
0: God <laughs> Oh that hurts? You're be John
1: Stark, you're gonna be John Snow, you're gonna be Aegon Targaryen, you're gonna be King Aegon, like I think that's one of the underrated parts of Jon that I talked about on the Girls Gone Canon podcast. He has so many different sides to him, and he has so all these different names and titles, and which one he chooses I think is more important than any of them. I think like the fact that he chose in the end to be Jon Snow, the bastard Winterfell, and a member of the Night's Watch means so much more than RLJ as a theory to me.
0: Look, I'm a poor kid from the south side of Detroit, so I'll always be Jon Snow. But like Tyrion <laughs> said, you're the shield that guards the realms of men. You've always tried Aww. to do the right thing no matter the cost. You've tried to protect people. That's always my bit too. I've gotta do it as much as I can. I can see that. I think we're all pretty good at in this community.
1: Yeah, we would just take a while for rolls to like come back together. <laughs> we all love it.
0: I think we do our duty in an okay way.
1: I think Con of Thrones was pretty cathartic for a lot of people, especially they did panels specifically for, like, were you upset at the season? And people just, like, got it all out there and talked it out, and I think a lot of people came out of that event just being like, I feel better about the season, even though I'm not super happy with certain decisions.
0: I hope so. I mean, I, like I said, and it's much more intense that I'm letting on in this moment, but... There was a point when I called Paula, Paula Fairfield, one of my wonderful friends who is also the sound designer of the show, who, uh, you know, would often call me when she was work, like working and stressed out, uh, but wouldn't spoil me. And there were a few times where I would say, like, I need you to mute your phone right now because I don't want to hear any even like breath of a reaction, but... I realized at one point like John might die, and I didn't know how I would handle that, uh, or what that would mean to me personally. Identifying so much with that character and their story arc and successes and failures, it really, it really for a bit fucked me up. And I think before the finale, I thought he would certainly die, which I think John also thought that he would die. So it was a real. two Spider-Mans pointing at each other gif sort of moment. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, I don't know. I I think it makes sense to experience a loss with a character that you love and hurt over it and wonder why that was a thing that could happen when you identify with them to think, how could you do these bad things that I couldn't do? I think that's completely understandable, and it hurts. But I think that we are all capable of the good and bad thing, and we make decisions every day, of which to do. I don't know.
1: I think there was a quote from Jon during the show. I think that really exemplifies oh, that. Oh no! He was talking to Tyrion, <laughs> and he was. we were talking about where he said, "Like, yes, I'm a Targaryen. Does that mean I'm stamped at birth with like, with what that means?" Hmm. And comparing himself to Danny and what she's done, and. I think, that's a, I think that's a really good thesis for season eight, which is, you know, all these characters have houses. All these characters have, like, family ties and emotional ties and ideas of duty and honor and what they think is right. And, no, they're not stamped like that, where they're not just one thing. They change over time. And, yeah, especially, I think, with, like, characters like Danny where people reacted so strongly to her as a person like nobody thinks you're gonna go burn down a city (laughs) like that's that's not what people think because you're a danny Mm -hmm. fan or like nobody nobody thinks if you're a john fan you're gonna run up and just start stabbing people but like there's emotional cores to them and things that resonate with you and that will stay with you no matter what happens to the character and the um you know a tv show or a book because it's more about you than them
0: i agree And we have these characters to look to, to kind of project our own feelings and choices and emotions onto, which is great. I've done it. (laughs) It's not uh, negative, but it's difficult when we see those people do bad things and then can't necessarily work out if we're also capable of doing those bad things.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't think I'm capable in any way of making the choices that Eamon did no (laughs) I'm also not a I'm not a scholar I'm not like I don't have a chain I don't have I didn't have the opportunity to be a king or anything like that but I would disagree with those not the parts of him well (laughs) nobody offered me nobody offered me a crown I'll say (laughs) um and like Eamon died in the show too and and in the books but like the details of his life aren't like the, the the parts I resonate with it's if if i did i'd be uh, my life would be insane like i would have to have a brother that has prophetic visions <laughs> and then also like my brother the king and then go up on a a ship with the lord commander and a one-eyed sorcerer blood raven character like th- those things aren't part of my life but details of his life aren't mine and neither are the details of these characters lives like anybody else's usually well
0: I think that you similarly aren't focusing on the exact details but you're focusing on what those decisions mean
2: mm. yeah that's true. so
0: like what do Eamon's decisions or like what does his wisdom that he's passing on like what does that mean what's important about it what are the values that he's really really trying to stress uh, that's what's important to me where like I clearly uh, empathize with Jon Snow in a way that maybe a lot of other people don't, and I feel like my my own <laughs> character arc <laughs> in the grand <laughs> scheme of life, which is a, a real joke, uh, I think it lines up a lot with his. But I've also never been stabbed by my. <laughs> like adopted family you know like there are like clearly i haven't but we take things from these stories right not literally but i don't know they're clearly important to us and i i think that's really wonderful
1: yeah um i would say like also one other thing with like Eamon as a character and also samwell is like the things I'm pulling out from that, like we were talking about, are very, very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, thought processes and how people feel about things. Like, another... Th- like, uh, Duncan the Tall is a totally different part of... And, actually, I relate the same to Brienne. Not so much to Sandor. Uh, because we don't really see inside his head. So, like, Brienne as a POV character. But I relate very heavily to them as a, like, a totally different part of my life. And... You know, that's the, I think that's the same for a lot of people where, you know, it's it's relating and understanding where people are coming from. And I think, like, I think season eight, like, and as, like, the hashtag discourse was a lot of empathy was lost between people. I think so, because, too. Because, like, they was, like, shouting, they were shouting past each other and not seeing perspectives. And it got, like, really ugly for a while.
0: I mean, I know that you more than a lot of people. there were just a couple of my sweet pals who really saw like how difficult of a time I had dealing with the discourse um, hmm. like almost dropped this podcast like I I almost didn't go to Con of Thrones. like I was really upset, but I think seeing yeah. my friends who've worked on the show upset was uh, deeply affecting. <laughs> It was, it was really tough, but I really, really in an emotional way felt drawn to season eight and didn't necessarily care if things felt, quote unquote, because podcasts are an audio medium, uh, rushed. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it didn't matter to <laughs> I mean, me because they felt emotionally on point.
1: That's true. I mean, I did see the um, like flaws in the production. I did see that they probably could have gone like ten episodes, probably, and it probably would've been uh, reasonably better for quite a lot of people. And like, there are points they could have expanded more, and like all that other kind of stuff. It's like it's not like I'm blind to mm-hmm. them. It's just like if you're talking about the the technical aspects of like the build up to a season, those are not the things I watch it for I guess maybe that's maybe that's a difference where for some people those are things that are very very important to them on a personal level that things are presented exactly right whereas I think the the message being presented is usually more important.
0: I also think that it's okay to have subjective criticisms and not like something Mm. like that's absolutely okay but it's the objectivism that really starts to frustrate me and being like this is bad with a capital b and (laughs) you aren't a critic so you don't understand that that's fine we can move on (laughs) i'm like no i liked this (laughs) this is fine it's not a big deal you can enjoy something yeah people can
1: enjoy things i I think my 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 my, business, my biggest example was that I and I like as a plot point and like what it means for Bran as king I don't like I didn't like the uh, the whole dragon pit scene though <laughs> I thought that wasn't that great <laughs> like I really like hashtag rushed I did think that was rushed I thought they could have done a lot more with that and like like really teased that out a little bit more but again like the mess I thought the message and what it means to the story going forwards and as like tying it all up I thought that was better and that resonated even if the exact way it was presented did not
0: totally and like I said the part where I realize I feel like I'm in a way in between the fandom and the organization (laughs) of Game of Thrones or the uh, Mm -hmm. job aspect is I'm like let them move on
2: yeah (laughs)
0: Like, let them move let on. Them let them go. They've been doing this for so long. Just let them move <laughs> on.
1: I really did like Nikolai's uh, quote about that where he said, and people got mad about this on Reddit because, of course, they did, where it was like, how can Nikolai say that? Where it was like um, how he knows them personally. He said, like, the no matter what you think of season eight, Dan and Dave and the entire production staff cared more than you've been, like, people have cared about like most things in their lives. like they took it very personally and they tr- they did like immense amounts of work and tried to make a great season and like I think both of us agree that they did. but like that wasn't the problem, I guess.
0: I know, but at the same time, ugh, I'm gonna cry again at the same, <laughs> at the same time you've seen, like I said, people we know who have gotten very angry at me for saying like, no matter how much you don't want to believe it, Dan and David care a great deal. Because mm. they do.
1: Yeah, that's true. I think that came up with. Um, this is probably off topic, but like the creator of um, Dexter. Oh. Or I think a friend of ours, uh, Lauren, uh, Lauren Sarda, mm-hmm. I think. She interviewed him and talked about the ending, and was like, he he didn't think he was writing a terrible ending. He thought he was writing a really good ending. He thought people were going to like it and they didn't. And that doesn't mean he didn't, that like he punted it or he wasn't like doing, trying to do a terrible job or like whatever. I'm going on to my next thing. It was just that, you know, (laughs) you make creative decisions and sometimes they don't work for everybody. And that's just how it goes. Yeah.
0: I think it's difficult. And Dan and David were never going to create the perfect ending because they're not george it doesn't matter literally they could have replicated exactly what george wanted and it never would have been acceptable because they're not george like it did not matter what they did it was never going to be okay <laughs> i have a lot of feelings I think people about are this gonna be pretty
1: disappointed I, I totally agree. I think people are going to be very disappointed with George's ending because it's not going to be that different. I think so too. Like the they're going to be different. They're going to be different details and like different situations will play out and people will say different things. But like the core of where these arcs are going are probably going to be pretty similar for most of those characters. And unfortunately, that's this. That's just how it goes. I agree. Somebody is writing the story. It's not. It's not real. Somebody has to make it, and it's these people.
0: I agree with you. Also.
1: And the world of fan fiction is always an option.
0: <laughs> oh, I know. That's the thing I don't understand, where I'm always like, right? Fan fiction. We talked about it on the last episode. I think Grant's, right? Like, Grant's fan fiction is beautiful. Mm. And even though I've told Grant where I'm like, this is not the Jon Snow ending I imagine, but it's beautiful. And I support it. Like, it's lovely. Just write fan fiction, and I'll read it and applaud it. It's all made up. I know it's great.
1: It's not real. None of
0: it is real, even though it feels very real. Ugh.
1: It feels real because of the way it tugs on your heart. But yeah, none of it's real. You can make up whatever you want. You don't have to believe George. You don't have to believe Dan and Dave. You can do your own thing. That's totally acceptable.
0: That hurts in itself, but is also correct.
1: You're gonna have a you're gonna have a fun time editing this.
0: I... <laughs> Matt, honestly. Thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast and talking to me about your feelings, about your intro into the community, about Eamon, which I could talk about for another three hours, because I'm going to edit this down likely, but we've talked for almost three (laughs) hours.
1: Nobody makes you feel feelings about Eamon like I do. Honestly. That's my thing.
0: I love him so much. I love you so much. I'm really, really, really thankful for you.
1: <laughs> I, think that's the, I think that's one of the best parts of the community, that people have different takes on characters, and they get you to see them in ways that you never did before, and then your life is richer because of it.
0: I agree. There's the sentiment that Old Man was right, but I'm going to go ahead and say that we should start switching that to Amen was right.
1: Eamon was right about everything. Eamon did nothing wrong. He honestly
0: was. He was a perfect character.
1: Except for the time he made Rhaegar think he was the (laughs) Proterozoan one. That was kind of shitty. We all
0: make mistakes. The rest of it was good. You know, it's not a big deal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You ignore that whole prophecy shtick for his like 20s and 30s, then he's pretty
0: good. I'm going to 100% gloss over it. So we're good. Eamon is still perfect. (laughs) is perfect. (laughs) thank you so much for coming for talking to me for spending the last two and a half to three and a half hours chatting with me about game of thrones (laughs) i love you so much oh
1: i love you too sam
0: (laughs) you're the best okay bye (laughs) goodbye (laughs) i want to thank matt again for coming on the podcast which was so so much fun like, over three hours of fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> you can find Matt, loyal supporter of Good King Bran, on Twitter at Magician, And you should listen to his podcast, Meester Monthly. You can find me on Twitter at Kinda underscore cool, or Kinda Cool Sometimes on Instagram. You can also tweet the podcast at CrywolfPod. I wanna thank you again for being patient while I took my time releasing this episode. Life is wild. So until next time, remember, the lone wolf dies, but the pack remembers that Maester Eamon was right all along. And Jon Snow is the prince that was promised. (laughs) See ya.